Thanks, Nick. Good morning, friends. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, my prayer for myself and my friends in this room this morning is that as your word is shared, that we would have our hearts unlocked and we would be stirred into a greater revelation of your awesome might, your awesome power, just how relational you are with us. And so my prayer, Lord, is this morning that this word would not manipulate, but it will just bring freedom to your people in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Trust you're all doing well. Thank you, music team, for just facilitating a moment, really, of just standing in the presence of a king who is so incredibly loving, gracious, and kind. And this king that we get to serve, this king that we get to experience, is the same king that Moses in his day called out to. Just then, Lord, reveal yourself to me. So we continue with our defined series this morning. And the inspiration for the series comes out of Exodus chapter 33 from verses 16 to 17. If you are visiting for the first time or you haven't darkened the doorway here for a while, this is the series that we are working through. And this is what Moses asks of God. He says, how will anyone know that you look favorably on me, on me and your people, if you don't go with us? For your presence amongst us sets your people and me apart from all the other peoples on the earth. So now God responds to this cry, this prayer, this ask of Moses. And this is what God replies. The Lord replied to Moses, and he says, I will indeed do what you have asked. For I look favorably on you, and I know you by name. Incredible. Moses in response to this revelation, to this personal word from God says, this is how he responds. Moses responds. He says, if that is the case, then show me your glorious presence. Show me your glorious presence. So Moses is in effect here. He's asking God, show me who you are. That's what I need to know. Show me who you are. Verse 19, Exodus chapter 33. The Lord replied, I will make all my goodness pass before you. I will make all my goodness pass before you. Theologian Lloyd-Jones, he gives us an idea in his own words of what God said to Moses in response to his request. And this is how Lloyd-Jones interprets that portion of Scripture. This is how he sees what God said to Moses. I will stoop to your weakness. I will stoop to your weakness. I will let you see something. But more important than that, I will cause all my goodness to pass before you. I will give you a deeper insight and understanding into myself, into my character, into what I am, because that is what you really need to know. Church, that is what we really need to know. In these uncertain times that we are living in, the pressure of financial difficulty and hardship, social challenges, all the troubles and the trials that our nation is facing, what we really need to know is who God is and to understand Him and His sovereign greatness and His power. 
I pray this morning, as I've already prayed, that we would walk out from this room having a fresh understanding of the sovereign, powerful greatness of this King Jesus that we serve. An assurance of His goodness towards us. So this morning, we're going to look at the topic of generosity. So please don't shut down on me and be distracted. Okay. We've covered prayer as being that which defines us as a people of God. We've, we've looked at the topic of worship as that what defines us as a people of God. And alongside those comes this topic of generosity. Our generosity defines us in the context of who we are as God's people. So we are living, as I've already said, in challenging times, socially, financially. But I believe we can still live with hope because of the presence of God with us. Amen? Hopefully, I'm not the only one in this room that believes that. And I trust that if I am, and you aren't, that when we leave this room this morning, that we walk out here with a revelation that it's Jesus Christ and His presence with us that defines us and helps us and sustains us through these trying times. So our circumstances don't define us. It's incidentally, Moses tells uh, sorry, God tells Moses, I know you by name. So he's, he's looking at Moses and he says, I know you by name. And maybe this morning we need to hear these words for ourselves, that you're going through some tough times, whatever they may be. It might be health issues. It might be relational issues. Most definitely, I think we're all feeling the financial pinch. Above all of these things, hear the voice of Jesus, I know you by name. So if he knows us by name, he knows what we're going through, doesn't he? If he knows everything about us, he knows our circumstances. And what he's saying, in your circumstances, I'm wanting to reveal my goodness to you. That you might know me. And understand who I am. And understand and know how I can sustain you in these moments and in these times. That is worth an amen. He has not abandoned us. So he's saying to Moses that I have not abandoned you. I'm with you. Whatever you will face as you leave this mountain and you begin to live amongst the peoples of this earth with all of their chaos, I will not abandon you. I'll be with you. We need to hear that today in these financial times. God says, I will not abandon you. I'm with you. He's reminding us that his goodness is with us. Our joy, our happiness, how generously we live is not dependent. Hear this this morning. Our joy, our happiness, how generously we live is not dependent upon the stability of our financial systems or the strength of our land. Or the strength of our currency, whatever currency we have but on a spiritual currency, the presence of God with us. We'd, if we don't live with a revelation of the goodness of God, friends, you cannot live generously. That's what my Bible teaches me. Paul the Apostle, actually, you want some proof of this in the Word? It's helpful not just to talk about a dynamic in our world, but it's helpful to go to the Word of God and see that people before us 
were able to live like this despite circumstances. And when we read their story and we have something of a glimpse into their history, it gives us faith to live for our today and into the future. And so Paul actually commends the church in Philippi. When you read the book or the letter of Philippians, this letter that Paul writes to a church, the church in Philippi proves to me when I read it that it's possible to flourish in tough economic circumstances. He commends the church in Philippi. He thanks them for their partnership in the gospel. Can I underline that? Partnership in the gospel. Because their generosity contributed to this partnership. Not just the partnership you give me, and I'll live in the fruit of it, it's I can be part of this. Contributing to the advancement of the gospel in this partnership. Their joy in the gospel. Their joy in carrying the presence of God was expressed in being sacrificially generous. Liberal generosity. They didn't withhold in any way. Paul sends him this commendation, we read. Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 to 5. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you. I thank my God. He doesn't say, I thank you. He says, I thank my God when I remember you. In all of my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel, and please underline this in your Bible, from the first day until now. So their partnership, didn't, uh, their partnership wasn't defined by the circumstances they lived in. Okay? Philippi was a Roman colony. They were taxed exorbitantly. <laughs> Can we identify with that? They weren't wealthy in the context of other places around them. For more than 10 years, so 10 years later, Paul is writing this letter to the church in Philippi, and he's saying, I thank my God every time I remember you because of their partnership. And this is what he says in chapter 4, Philippians, verses 14 to 16. He said, it was good of you. Okay, Remember, he's thanked God. Now he's commending them for their faith, for their partnership. It was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. This is no, not a manipulation. This is actually, I thank God for your partnership because you understand God's presence with you. You understand God's goodness. And because he is with you, you're able to give. That's in effect what Paul is saying. Their reality is they weren't wealthy. As I've already stated, Philippi was a Roman colony, an oppressive regime. People financially abused, taxed almost to death. And yet they're able to give. So Paul writes now to their southern neighbors bordering Philippi. And he writes a letter to them, and it's a very different tone than what he's written to the church in Philippi. He writes about their generosity. So remember now, he's commended Philippi for their generosity. He's writing to another church now, the church that meets in Corinth, and the tone of his letter is very different to Corinthians. Chapter 8, verses 1 to 4. He'll highlight something of 
what is a lack in that local church. He says, now I want you to know, dear brothers, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, first four verses. I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. That's why I started with Philippi. He's pointing back to the churches in Macedonia, specifically Philippi. He's contrasting their giving with the giving of the churches in Philippi. They are being tested by many troubles. And they are not just poor, they're very poor. But they are also filled with abundant joy, which has overflowed in rich generosity. For I can testify, this is not just a pipe dream, this is not just like somebody said. He says, I can testify, I've seen it with my own eyes and I've experienced it. I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. And they did it of their own free will. In other words, not manipulated. Not strong-armed. They did it of their own free will. I love this part. They begged us again and again. It wasn't just, well, there's a need, let me give, and then forget about it. They did this again and again. Now, I don't know how many times again and again was, but it means it was often. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. When I look at this church in Philippi, is that their circumstances didn't determine their way of life. They were poor, yet they gave abundantly. Contrast that with Corinth, rich in the context of Philippi, but withholding. In the midst of extreme poverty, this church of Philippi, they were able to be liberally generous. And they did it of their own free will. Begged it to be so generous. They understood the significance of the presence of God with them. His goodness. All that they have comes from His hand. All that they have comes from His hand. When we know, friends, the goodness of God for ourselves as a revelation, don't have to be manipulated or compelled to give, comes from a heart of gratitude towards God, not from an ask of man. Paul didn't need to ask them for money. They just knew, listen, this gospel, this partnership in the gospel, if that's to advance, we can sow into that by being generous. Paul didn't have to ask them for money. Didn't have to ask them for support. They understood something of the goodness of God that is to be shared beyond them. Their joy came from Jesus, was not found in the circumstances. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 5, we read on. Paul again speaking about the church in Philippi as a model of generosity. They did even more than what we had hoped. So, like they outgave expectations that Paul had. They did even more than what we had hoped for their first action. Very important, underline this for their first action. Okay? That which stirred their heart, this which stimulated their giving, their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and then to us, just as God wanted them to do. The Corinthians had been withholding. Paul's saying you actually need a reset. If you call yourselves children of God, if you actually say that you carry the presence of God, actually there's proof that there are some things lacking 
and you need to pay attention to them. They'd been withholding, needed a reset. So I know I'm not blind, and I'm not immune to what we're facing as a nation financially. I know that we're living, all of us, through some incredibly financially tough times, and everyone is feeling the pinch. And in these times, our natural tendency, if you were honest, just with yourself, you don't have to tell me, that when these times come, we tend to withhold. That's our natural tendency. It's human nature. So if we are spiritual beings, which I'm assuming that if we've been saved, born again, children of God, we are spiritual beings. Do you agree with me on that one? I don't think there's any disagreement. Then surely, then surely our life has to be defined by the presence of God with us and not our circumstances, not what's happening naturally around us. And if our life is defined in the context of generosity by the presence of God, then we are to live like the Macedonians, aren't we? Not like the Corinthians, generously. See, for me, generosity is a heart issue. Not a practical, it's a heart issue. See, when Jesus has our heart, then our hands are open, isn't it? When Jesus has our heart, then our mouths are open, aren't they? When Jesus has our heart, our feet will go, won't it? So this is more than money. Generosity is money and more. Finances and more. When he has our hearts, he has everything else. He has our bank balance. He has our leave routines. He has everything. He owns it, really. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 7, we read further. The Corinthians. Paul says, since you excel in so many ways. <laughs> Again, it's, uh, <laughs> uh, I don't know if it's a commendation. I don't read it as such. I read it as a bit of sarcasm. Since you excel in so many ways, in your faith, your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, your love from us, interesting eh, that you put that in there, that you receive from us. He says, I want you to excel also in this gracious act of giving. He says, you do all of this other stuff, and you do well in it, but this one thing. It's almost when Jesus eh, walks amongst the lampstands, isn't it, of the church in the book of Revelation, and he gives these commendations. He says, you do well, you do well, you do well, but this one thing I hold against you. Now, Paul's not saying he holds this against us. He's just saying, he says that you do ministry so well, and you seem to do faith so well, but there's one aspect that's missing, is generosity. I'm, I'm not angry with you this morning. I just want us to catch the heart of God, please. I'm, I'm trying my very best not to manipulate and to strong arm, but to bring the word of God to liberate us and to free us that we could live in freedom and reveal this freedom that Jesus has given us to others. So you know my heart? We friends? Cool. <laughs> Verse 8, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Please don't hear my words here. Hear the heart of the Father. As God spoke to Moses face to face, trust that we'll hear his, his words for ourselves. Verse 8, 
Paul says, I'm not commanding you to do this. Interesting. <laughs> so I'm not commanding you to be generous. But I am testing how genuine your love is by comparing it with the eagerness of other churches. Paul's not saying that we are commanded to give, but he is saying that in the context of our generosity, compared to others, how genuine is our love. Want to know if you, I carry the presence of God? Because our generosity will measure the sincerity of our love for Him. 1 John chapter 3, verses 17 to 18. If someone has enough money to live well. Who's got enough money to live well? Okay. Okay, in the context of poorer places. Now, be honest. I think we should all lift our hands. Because we have a bed to sleep in, don't we? Eh? Some of us are working towards a car that we own. But in the context of the world's population, we are rich, aren't we? So can I ask every hand to be raised? Yeah. If someone has enough money to live well, okay, so we live well, and sees a brother or sister in need, but shows no compassion to that person. Dear children, dear children, dear children, dear children, and I'll put myself in that bracket, dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. Someone said this, and it's so true. Love to give that person credit, but I don't know who that person is. He or she said, faith gives Christ to me. Love flowing from faith gives me to my neighbor. Yeah? This next truth makes Paul's revelation so incredibly significant. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9. Just a, in a few short verses, incredible what's unpacked, isn't it? In terms of how we are to live. But we often skip over those because there's a cost that comes to that, a sacrifice that we have to make. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 verse 9. Paul says, and he brings it all back to the gospel where it should all hinge on. You know, you know, who knows Jesus in this room? Who's been blood washed, blood bought, brought into a living relationship with God the Father through the work of the cross? Okay, so Paul's speaking to us. You know, we know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sake, read it for our sake. He became poor, so that by his poverty, he could make you, make us rich. What Paul's doing with this one verse, he's reminding us of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and how that grace, that love was demonstrated for our sake. And what he does, Paul here, is that he contrasts Jesus' deity and his humanity. Jesus came to earth as man human, died upon the cross for you and me, gave up his crown, gave up his glory in heaven, and came to earth to die for you and me. What love is this? He became poor so we could become rich. 
demonstrates when I read that and I understand that truth in its fullness, the knowledge of that as a conviction, not just head knowledge, but as a conviction. What I understand then by that is that we serve a God and we have a God in heaven who is so incredibly, abundantly, lavishly generous to us. He demonstrates that goodness to us. O oh Lord, do not let me go from this place unless your goodness goes with me. You know, we carry the generous character and nature of God as part of our DNA. And what we're encouraged to do, you know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're encouraged to live the same way. (laughs) I'm not saying go and die on a cross for somebody, but what I'm saying, pour yourself out for the sake of others. It costs you yourself sometimes. With gratitude. Not just give under compulsion, with gratitude. Not gratitude to us, gratitude to Him who gave himself fully for us. Verse 10 and 11. We read on. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Verses 10 and 11. Here is my advice. (laughs) I love Paul's heart here. Remember, he's not compelling us. He's not commanding us. He said, here is my advice. So maybe some of us need to hear this advice this morning. I certainly put myself in the bracket of having to hear that. Because I'll be honest with you, I don't find it easy to be generous. Just being real with you. Think we've got it all together? No, we don't. We all struggle with the same issues. Try to be. Here is my advice. It would be good for you, for us, to finish what you started a year ago. So he's saying you started with good intentions, but some things have slipped. Last year you were the first who wanted to give and you were the first to begin doing it. And then he ends up by saying, now you should finish what you started. So I'm assuming that they stopped being generous. <laughs> some things got in the way there. Some things crept into the heart. Maybe they lost some revelation. I don't know. But they stopped doing what they had started doing. I want to come back to my opening scripture when Moses asked God the question, how will anyone know that you look favorably on me? How do we measure, friends? How do we measure God's goodness to us? The answer is found in the very next chapter. And I'm running out of time quickly. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8. This is where the answer is found. How do we measure God's goodness to us? Paul says, and God, and God, and God will generously Provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. So what Paul's doing here is he's giving us a farming analogy to understand and to illustrate the goodness of God. It's a sowing and reaping principle. Don't sow, cannot expect to reap. We live in a world where we just want to reap, 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 but there's no sowing. Then we wonder why at the end of the month we're struggling so much. Well, just maybe... We've taken our eyes off the king. This may be. Two Corinthians chapter 9, verses 10 to 11. For God, and God for God, 
For God is the one. Please underline, God is the one. Who provides seed for the farmer, then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Yes, yes, yes. You'll be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. Learn this principle of sowing and reaping, spiritual principle, understanding it's God who gives, it's God who blesses. We are just simply the channel of that blessing, then we will live in abundance. We'll have enough for ourselves. It doesn't say enough and overflowing just for ourselves. Enough for ourselves and enough to be a blessing. I trust this morning, after hearing this truth, we have a fresh appreciation for the generosity expressed to us in so many ways. Firstly, by the giving of His Son, who sets us up to be a generous people. Finish, church. Finish, church. Finish, church, what you started. And my greatest prayer, as I started with, please, is that we don't feel manipulated, but out of revelation, by conviction of His Word, we begin to live by generosity and not by fear. When I say fear, fear of our financial systems and circumstances. We can live generously when we have an understanding of God who provides, it's God who gives, it's God who multiplies that which He gives us. But often we can be the stumbling block to that because we stop being a channel of His blessing. Generosity. Now land with us before Grant comes up. Is a measure of our gratitude to God for His saving grace towards us. Amen? <laughs> Isn't God good? Isn't God good? Jeez, I've got about four people saying, yeah, He is. <laughs> Hallelujah! Isn't God good? Now that should get us going. Huh? Amen. <laughs> God bless you. I trust that as we begin to walk in the revelation of this truth, people defined by the character and the nature of God, that as much as we will pray to Him, as much as we will worship Him, that we will be generous for Him. And our generosity will result in a harvest of righteousness where we will see other people bow their knee before this King who is so worthy of praise and honor. God bless you, Grant. Great. Thanks, Nick, for that word, a word that we need to hear. Maybe sometimes uncomfortable word to hear, but we, we really need to hear it. And um, we know um, from previous messages that we've shared that Jesus speaks more about finances than any other topic. Um, and more of his parables singular, singularly are about finance than any, any other topic. So it's something that's close to the Father's heart because it reveals something of our heart, the way that we respond to finances. So this morning we're going to have a bit of a, a family meeting just about finances, just to give you some feedback. And I know there'll be somebody here who's like, um, you know, I haven't been to church for one year, and the last time I was here, you spoke about finances, and now I'm back again, and you're talking about finances again. Friends, we really, we, we talk about this once a year, and it's probably not enough. If we compare the number of times that Jesus talks about finance to the number of times we talk about it, it's, it's actually not enough. But um, by the same token, we don't want it to feel like manipulative, or we, we can't talk about it every week just because you know, there are more important things for us to focus on as well. But finances are important, and um, what Nick has shared this morning is very important. So we just want to take you through the church finances a bit. And like I say, we do this once a year. 
um, just to give you a picture of exactly um, what happens and how we steward the finances of the church. So I just want to take you kind of into the background to let you know what happens and, and the way that we steward the finances that um, come into the life of this church is that obviously we take up tithes and offerings on a weekly basis and then there's income that comes through EFTs as well. And um, just like there's income that comes into the church, there are a whole lot of expenses that go out as well. So cash flows out um, just as quickly as it comes in, just about. So um, Jill Stahler, who most of you know, is sitting at the, the back there. Jill, if you wave your hands, everyone knows who you are. There we go, Jill. So Jill is the church bookkeeper. So what she does, she keeps record and accounts of exactly what comes in and what goes out. So that's all booked onto um, Pastel. So she does that, and then on a monthly basis, she distributes management accounts to the eldership team. So as soon as possible after month end, she sends out the income statements and balance sheets and all those things that um, some of you might um, know what they are, and some of you might not, not know what they are. Lee gets excited about them. So, um, so Jill distributes those to the eldership on a monthly basis just after month end, so we can track and know exactly what's happening to the finances, and we can use those management accounts to make decisions as well on how to allocate the, the funds of the church. Then on an annual basis, what happens, we put all those monthly numbers together to come up with our annual financial statements. So at the end of February each year, that's when the financial year end of the churches, we put the financial statements together and we submit those to SARS. So we don't pay tax as a church because we are what's called a public benefit organization, but we do need to submit our accounts to SARS on an annual basis. So what happens is they go through those and then they'll email back with questions, or they might want supporting documentation, and then once they're happy, they kind of give us their bill of health, clean bill of health, and they say, okay, we're happy with, with the finances. So um, as a church, we do pay employees tax, so any salaries that are paid out of the church, those are taxed as normal, so those of you who have jobs in the, the workplace, um, you get taxed on a monthly basis, that happens the exact same way, but we don't pay income tax as a church, so it's not like we take our profits at the end of the year and we need to pay a portion to the government. Because we're a public benefit organization, we don't need to do that, but we are still accountable, and the government still requires us to submit our financial results to SARS on an annual basis. Right, then just in terms of accountability, um, probably familiar with um, guys on the apostolic team who come into the life of the church, and we always give them the opportunity or the option to look at the finances of the church, so if there's anything untoward or anything that they or you know, they feel um, we aren't treating in a way that's honoring or we're not stewarding, we give them opportunity to speak into the life of the church. So we do that. Um, we do this annual feedback to the life of the church as well, so you know what's happening with um, the church's finances. And then we also put the offer out there. If there is anyone who is a partner of the church and you're a tithe-paying partner of the, the, the church and you'd like to have more information, you're welcome to come chat to myself or one of the elders, and we happily talk through any details. If there's anything that you're uncomfortable with, um, so in an honoring way, we're happy to go through that with you. So that option is out there. If you're a partner, you're a tithe-paying partner of the life of the church.